Well, welcome everybody to Aaron Springs Baptist Church. We're going to talk this morning from 1 John chapter 3. If you want to take your Bible and turn to that text, 1 John chapter 3. We did a, a sermon a couple of weeks ago on living Christianly. Today I want to talk to you about loving Christianly. And so uh, that has a lot to do with your relationship with the Lord, of course. In order for us to know how to love each other, we have to know what love is. And this morning I hope that we can discover uh, this biblical concept of God's love for us. First John chapter 3, would you stand as we read beginning in verse 11. First John chapter 3. Beginning in verse 11, the Bible says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brethren. He who does not, abide, uh, he who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? 18. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray together. Lord, bless your word today in our heart, in our sight, in our mind, Father, in our spirit. Let us know how to love when we leave this room. Let us know what that means. Let us be able to give and show that. Father, bless us today with that ability. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I read a little story about a church similar to ours right here, and a lady walking into the service before it began uh, got hugged abruptly by another lady in the church who was at odds with her. They didn't speak. They didn't do things together. They didn't like each other, and everybody knew it. And this lady ran up and gave her a hug. And the woman who walked in was kind of shocked and said, wow, where did that come from? And she sat down and the whole service, she thought about this and the preacher preached the message. And at the end of the message, the preacher said, now your assignment for this week is the same as it was last week. Go out and find somebody you can't stand and give them a hug. Now, if loving one another was just giving each other a hug, we could all excel at that, couldn't we? We could all do good at loving each other, but loving each other is far more difficult than just giving a hug. Loving each other takes a continuous effort. It takes continual commitment. That's what the Bible is going to teach us this morning. Why does it take effort to love each other? Because you and I, by nature, are selfish. You and I, by nature, put ourselves number one. We're just that way. And so to love someone else, I have to elevate them higher than me. 
And that takes effort because we are wired as a selfish person. You know, the Lord, the New Testament, and the Apostle John never got tired of exhorting you and I to love each other. John saw this love firsthand. All right? John was one of the 12 disciples. He walked with Jesus those three years. He sat down in that upper room after a traveling day. He was tired. He was worn out. His feet were dirty. And he saw his Lord gird himself, take a basin of water and a towel, and go around that table washing everybody's feet. John saw love exhibited. John heard Jesus teach that night in that upper room to his 12 disciples. Here's one of the things on the screen Jesus said to them. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So John got his feet washed. John heard the teaching. And then John saw Jesus go to Calvary willingly laying down his life so that we could be saved. If anybody knows about love, it's the Apostle John. Amen. That night, I believe, John went from being one of the sons of thunder that the Bible described him as with his brother James, the sons of thunder. He went from that to being the apostle of love. Jerome, a famous church father back at the beginning of the church age, wrote about the apostle John when he was still alive. And it was said that John was carried off of the island of Patmos and allowed to go to Ephesus to be a pastor there. And as he grew in age, he became very feeble. And the people would literally carry John, the Apostle John, into the church building and set him down. They would have church. And then when the service was over, they would carry John up to the pulpit because they wanted to hear a final word from the great Apostle John. In every service, Jerome writes, every service, John would say this, the Lord commanded us to love one another. Finally, one of the church members said, John, we're doing that. We know that. Why do you always tell us that? Same thing every week. And John said this, because it was the Lord's command. And if you and I do it, it will be enough. Amen? For you and I to love each other. You know, I, I know that's a command. I, I know I, I read that often. I understand that. I, I know what that's like, I believe. But today, let's dig a little deeper past what Brother Clay might know, what you as a Christian might know. And let's, let's see what John was really talking about in when we should love one another. You know, in the message or the text that I read, John made two distinctions. One is that the mark of the world is hatred. 
And two, the mark of the church is love. So in order for us to know what love is, we've also got to look at what love is not. And John gave us that in the text. To love one another. That's easy to say, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's easy for me to say that I love one another. Sometimes I, I wonder if the Bible really means that because I know some Christians that are hard to love. In fact, I would rather hug a cactus than hug one of them that I know that are Christian people. And then on the other side, I know some unbelieving people who are great, good, outstanding people. And so the mark of the world is hatred, really, for all people that are unbelieving. And then the mark of the church is loving one another, really, with some of the Christian people that I know and that you might know as well. So love is this on the screen. Love is the inevitable result. It is not the automatic result. I have to learn how to love you. You have to learn how to love me. We have to learn how to love each other. And this is what John is giving us today. So in contrast to the mark of the church being love, let's look first at the mark of the world being hatred. All right, verse 11 and 13, or through 13. Let's read those again. You follow with me. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. What beginning? The beginning of my Christian life. Not the beginning of time, not the beginning of the world. From the beginning when I stepped into the kingdom. This is the message that I have heard, that you have heard, that we should love one another. Verse 12, not as Cain. Everybody knows Cain. Nobody wants to name their little boy Cain, do they? Because we all know Cain. And so we don't want to love like Cain loved, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay his brother? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's deeds were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. The mark of the world is hatred. John 15, Jesus taught this in the upper room that night when he washed the feet. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The unbelieving world, the world who does not receive Christ, the world who does not want God, they do not love. They hate. They are like Cain. Satan's dominion as opposed to God's dominion. This is who Jesus is calling the world there in that text. Those who are opposed to God are in contrast with Jesus Christ. His love was for the world. That's why He came. But the world did not receive Him, did it? The world did not come to know Him. The world eventually began to hate Him. If I could come up with a definition of love, uh, here's the best one I found on the screen. Look at this. You might want to write this in your Bible. I'll leave it there for just a minute for you to record if you like. Love is a self-sacrificing, 
caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. That's a definition of love. Biblical love. Godly love. Jesus love. Loving one another love. All right? It's important that we see those two words I underlined. Shows itself. Right? Love is more than just saying it. Love is showing it. Amen? So it is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. When you say, Brother Clay, I know unbelievers who love like that. No, you don't. No, you don't. You know unbelievers that love their children and would sacrifice themselves for their children. You know unbelievers who have a caring commitment for their family, for their friends. You, you know unbelievers like that, but you don't know an unbeliever who seeks the highest good of the one they're loving. And how do I know that? Because the highest good of anyone is to be saved. The highest good of any human being is to be in relationship with God. So unbelievers don't love like that. They care. They sacrifice. But they do not seek the highest good of the person they're loving. Because they can't. Because they're not in relationship with God. Therefore they cannot bring someone to relationship with God. That is the highest good of any human being to be in relationship with God. Now, people can love self-sacrificingly and love commitment-wise because God gave that to the world as a gift. Love. Right? He, he lets men love each other as men can love each other. But God is teaching us there is a higher love than that. There is a greater love than man's love for each other. It's God's love through man to man. That is the highest love and the kind of love that God wants us to have. The kind of love God is asking for you to portray this morning. Now let's talk about this mark of hatred it's typified in Adam's firstborn. Who was that? Cain. Hatred is typified in Adam's firstborn son. Right? He is the firstborn under the curse of sin. And what did he do? He murdered his own brother. Look what Jesus said about the devil. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Hatred comes or stems from Adam's firstborn. 
Secondly, hatred or the world's hatred originated with the devil. Why? Because he is a murderer from the beginning. He's the one who causes all of this deception and all of this lying and all of this murdering and cheating and stealing. When some man is not born with a neutral tense in his life, he's not born basically good and he becomes bad. He's not born neutrally and becomes good. Man is born naturally evil and wicked. We don't have to learn how to do it. It comes naturally to us. We have to change that. We allow the Lord to move into our heart and our life and He transforms us and changes us in that way. Man is not born basically good. He is born spiritually dead. And therefore he must Pass from this death to life. Look in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Because we love each other. We're born again. We're born and passing from death into this life. So, this hatred or this uh, hatred originates and was found in Cain, and then it was originated in the devil himself. It is not a love that is desirable. It is a love that is a selfish kind of love. Hatred and love do not begin in the human heart. Our hatred puts us in league with the devil. If we have a selfish attitude, we better start examining our heart because we're headed in the wrong direction. If I put me on top, if I put me over you, if I put me above you, then I am becoming selfish. And if I am selfish, I am heading, headed in a poor direction. This originated with the devil. The second, third thing I want you to see is this. That the world's hatred divides people. Verse 12 not as Cain who was the, of the evil one and slew his brother. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So the world's hatred divides people. It divides countries. It divides families. It divides relationships. Hatred becomes indifference. Hatred becomes avoidance. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke of anger. And He said, beware, that turns to hatred. So when I become angry with somebody, then I must rip that out by the roots of my life and not allow that anger to turn into hatred. We abhor murder, don't we? We just can't stand somebody who would kill another person, but we leave our own anger untouched. Jesus said, when you become angry, you are a murderer. If you do not take care of it, if you do not handle your anger, it will turn to murder. We see that in the text. Why did Cain murder his brother? Because his brother was good and Cain was evil. And therefore he became angry and therefore he murdered his brother. The same as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Hatred will divide people. Another thing hatred does, it is motivated by personal sin. Satan, I mean, uh, 
Cain killed his brother for what reason in verse 12? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. We have to be aware of that. Rebellion against God is really what it boiled down to. Cain and Abel both knew what kind of a sacrifice to bring to God. It wasn't a guessing game. We don't read that in Genesis, but the two men brought a sacrifice to God. And God accepted one, but He didn't accept the other. Now we've heard the teaching that Cain's heart was not right, therefore that's why God did not accept his sacrifice. That could be. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just tells us this. God accepted Abel's, but He did not accept Cain's. It could have been the sacrifice. It could have been the heart. Whatever the reason it was not accepted, it drove Cain to jealousy over his brother, which turned to anger, which turned to murder, all because he was rebellious against God. So when you become angry, when you become hateful, you must be aware that you are in rebellion against God. His command is for you to love one another. You're angry. Uh, you might be angry with somebody else, with another person, but ultimately you are in rebellion against God. You're on dangerous ground. Hatred is typified in Adam's firstborn son. Hatred is originated in the devil. Hatred divides people. Hatred is motivated by sin. Hatred is is rebellion against God. In contrast to all of that, one more I, I, I didn't see there. Hatred is the evidence of spiritual death. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. With hatred, there's no evidence of Christ in that person. Can a murderer be saved? Of course they can. But if you will notice in the text, these verses or these verbs are in the present tense. Therefore, it is not what you have done, it's what you are doing. It is the direction of your life. If you have an anger issue today, you need to get rid of it. If you have hatred for someone, you need to get rid of it. I can't tell you how to do it. I'm just telling you, you need to get rid of it. You need to deal with it. The Lord can overcome that. He's greater than your anger for this person. doesn't matter what the person's done to you. You get rid of it. You put it aside. You deal with it. God is commanding you. He told Cain, when he killed his brother, he said, where's your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? And God said, why is your countenance fallen, Cain? Something's wrong with you. He said, be careful. Sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it. If anger is in your heart, you must master that. You must get rid of it. You must overcome it. The Lord will certainly assist you and help you and show you how. But ultimately, it is you that has to remove the bitterness, the anger, which then turns into hatred. He who has hatred remains in death. Believers must battle this matter of hatred stemming from selfishness. 
All right. Now, in contrast to hatred, the mark of the church is to be love, to love one another. Let's take each point I made earlier and let's put it on the church. All right. Love is typified in God's firstborn from the dead in Christ. Amen. Verse 16. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us. And that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And so, love is typified in the cross. It is the greatest demonstration of love that man has ever known and has ever seen. It is true love. God's love and the cross in the Scriptures are always side by side. When you read about God's love, you're going to read about the death of Jesus as the portrayal of God's love for us. Jesus died because He loves you. God sent Him to deal with your sin. Jesus died for you because He loves you. That is love personified. That is love to the supreme. That is the kind of love that God wants us to have. You want to see what God's love is? Then you just look at Jesus Christ. He died for you. Love is typified in God's firstborn from the dead. Don't say Brother Clay preached that Jesus was the firstborn, first created. I didn't say that. All right, He was the firstborn from the dead. Well, you say the Old Testament had resurrections. They had resuscitations. Lazarus was raised from the dead only to die again. He was resuscitated. The people in the Old Testament who were raised from the dead were resuscitated. They died again. Jesus Christ was buried in the tomb. He was raised to life never to die again. He is the firstborn from the dead. Amen? You understand? Okay, so He is typifying of God's love being the firstborn. Also, love originated with God. Hatred originated with the devil. Love originated with God. We know that God is love. John wrote about that in his book, 1 John. Several times we read that phrase. We have to understand that. Verse 17 in our text, But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So God has a love. It originated with him. And he's passing that on to you. Now the third point, love unites people. Hatred divides people. Love unites people. Verse 16 and 17. We know that love by this, that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In the cause of Christ, you and I should be willing to lay down our life. If you lack love for someone, then you need to examine your faith. Because Jesus says it's impossible for you to love God and hate your brother. 1 John chapter 3. You can't say that you love God who you have not seen and hate your brother who you have seen. You can't say that. Okay? You have to love your brothers. Amen? And that's what I'm saying. If you have a lack of love for someone, then you need to examine your face. Jesus laid down His life for us. The second part of verse 16 says, And we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Let me ask you a question. Would you lay down your life for these people in this room? Oh yeah, we could say that. We, we could say that we would give our life to spare your life. 
We could give our life in defense of you, my church family. I, I would want to say that. And I bet you would want to say that too. You would want to be able to say that, right? But, God, but John and the Lord certainly do not leave us speculating that possibility. Because in the next verse, John gives us an example of laying down our life for our brothers. Look in verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? John's example is this. You love one another a little bit by little bit by little bit. And if you have recognized someone in need and you close your heart to them, don't expect yourself to lay down your life for them. This is love that we would lay down our life for the brethren. Not necessarily the giving of my life, but the giving of what I've been given to help someone who is in need. To show that love of God to someone. Wasn't that in the definition? A self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one being loved. Amen? That's what we do as brothers and sisters. That's what we're supposed to do. It's not necessarily the laying down of the physical life to death. It is the laying down of my things, my desires, my dreams, my goals to help someone else. Self-sacrificing is never convenient. It's never easy. Oh yeah, we can give money, all right? And that makes us feel good. And we should. The Lord tells us to tithe. And that some of that tithe goes to helping the needy and the poor. And we're not supposed to just go around throwing our money around to, to people who are irresponsible and not taking care of themselves. We don't, aren't supposed to do that. But when we see someone who is desperate or who is in need, then yes, we are to reach out to them. We are to help them. It takes discernment and it takes wisdom. Verse 16, love is motivated by God's love in Christ. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You see, God's love will flow through you to others. If you find yourself running short on love, all you need to do is remember what Jesus has done for you. Whereas hatred is evidence of spiritual death, love is evidence of spiritual life. A life that has been changed. My love has been changed. If you have no change, then you have no life. Little change, little life. The Bible says, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows generously will also reap generously. Like I said a moment ago, it's easy for us to say that I have a love for the people in my church, the love of the brethren. But God pinpoints it now. Look in verse 18. 
Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. I'm sorry, verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need. All the other things we read in our text today were, was about brethren. It's easy for me to say I love the brethren. But verse 17 changes it to singular. And now I have to say that I love a particular person in the congregation. Now it gets more difficult. I can love the brethren easily. But to love an individual single person as John writes and as the Lord instructs him. Whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need. Now it becomes more difficult for us to accomplish. I want you to be able to accomplish that. I'm going to finish with this little story that I heard. A, a guy in town, he heard about a famous preacher coming to one of the churches in his community, but he didn't catch which church, so he really wanted to hear this man speak, so he ran to this church, and he wasn't there. He ran to another church, and he wasn't there. He ran across town to this church, and he wasn't there. And he was afraid that he was going to miss the sermon because he was running around looking for the church where this man was preaching. Finally, he found the church. He went inside and the man was there. His sign was on the front, his name. And he stuck his head in the door and he said, Is the sermon done yet? And the man said, No, it's got to be done. Is this sermon done yet? Yes. But now it's got to be done. You see, I can say I have a love for the brethren. But John says, if you see a brother in need. Now he's getting specific. And now he's pointing at you. Now he's asking you, do you love like that? Will you love a brother? Will you take him and care for him and show him and provide that's an opportunity that you have, church. Tonight, I want to talk to you about why I must love. Today, we talked about what this love is. Tonight, I'm going to talk about why I must love. It's important that you hear that. It's important that you know that. I hope you come tonight at 6 o'clock and hear why you must love. At this moment, I'd like to pray, and I want... Uh, to ask David to come and lead us in a song of invitation. And as we stand together, I hope that you are understanding. God has gifted you. God has supplied you. God has given you things. Not for you to keep and not for you to hoard and not for you to have, but as a provider. Someone to share Someone to give. Someone to help. So let's stand together and let me pray for us. Lord, we know that you have provided all of us with much and given us many things. And Father, I know that you care for each of us here. And I know, Father, that you want us to love as you love. And today we, we get to see that. We get to understand that from the Scripture. That our love must be seen and not just spoken. And that as I show that love, I always have the highest 
good in mind for that person that they might be saved, that they might come to know you. Lord, help us to love like that. In Jesus' name, amen.